very clear. It is also very clear that we may be coming out of our pandemic panic and entering the COVID doldrums, which could possibly just precede New York City's crushing of Omicron, because we are nearly totally vaccinated in this great city. And so it is definitely time for great conversations at our neighborhood bars. I am Alan Winston. I'm Rebecca McCain, and we are Bar Crawl Radio Podcast. Today, we are at one of our favorite Upper West Side bars, Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar. Yay! And Matt's having a baby. Yeah, Maleficent. Maleficent's a wife. Maleficent. We don't know the baby's name. Oh, okay. No, we don't don't know that yet. Anyway. You're going to check with me when I meet with them so I don't get that mixed up. And today, we are talking with brave people who decided to start a new business during the pandemic. What were you thinking? <laughs> we like a challenge. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, you got it. Dan Ald and David Fulner of Kikoa Foods, making forward thinking and tasty natural baby foods. And Adam Simon, a grandmaster, maybe not at Chet's, but bread making. He recently started Sourdough Gambit, supplying Upper West Side residents with amazing artisanal breads, And with that bit of an introduction, here we go. We start with the founders of Keikoa Foods, an adventure in healthy eating for babies. I first met Dan Old when he was the director of technology support at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, where he designed and implemented academic programs. He has a PhD in educational psychology from Fordham and lives with his husband and partner in Keikoa Foods in West Orange, New Jersey. David Fulner is presently the vice president of network post-productions operations at Viacom CBS, overseeing distribution and studio content of Nickelodeon, MTV, Comedy Central, BET, and Paramount Networks, amongst others. We're not here to talk about that. No, 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 no. Not, not that at Rather, all. Rather, we are interested in how an academic innovator and a media VP start a baby food company. When did you two decide that you wanted to parent a child, first of all? Well, I think we always wanted uh, yeah, to be parents. Yeah. That goes back to when even I was a kid. I knew I always wanted to be a parent. And so when I became an adult and found, you know, it was dating and first question that came out was do you want to have kids so yeah. was that something that you would say often like uh-huh. on the like yeah he literally asked me on our first date that must have been, but you <laughs> actually must have no i asked you yes you wanted kids. and i responded with the names of our children <laughs> wow was what was Kismet. was paul one of them paul yes. was one of them paul is uh his brother who passed away uh, uh, before david was born wow. my grandson is named for my brother who passed away yeah yeah oh. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and then he had two other names. I'm like, I'll give you Paul because that's sentimental, but not the other two. <laughs> that's that's just amazing. <laughs> I I mean, I wasn't even sure. I mean, you knew you wanted to have kids. Oh yeah. But I don't. I mean, I, it, it wasn't kind of something that formed in my head. But you knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think because we knew it wasn't going to just happen. Like we would have to really work at it and figure yeah. out how we would become two dads. Yeah. So right. Definitely um, a plan plan to make it happen. Yeah. So you realized. I mean. We live in a world now in which being gay and, and having children is not unusual, mm-hmm. but not especially in New York City. Not necessarily right. an easy thing to do yeah, and at we, all. We've mm. known each yeah. other, uh, this will be 18 years yeah. uh, next month. Wow. And we've been together 
17 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we met playing softball and got to know one another and then uh, ended the season. David yeah. asked me out. He was the coach, so I, I had to make sure he was. <laughs> I did it properly. I waited until after the season to ask him out. Okay. Yeah. All right. What okay. position did you play? Shortstop and third base. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I was okay. left field. Okay. okay. And, and coach? Yes. Wow. So, so it was right. a friend who gave birth to the child, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. And did the, th- did the three of you continue to have a relationship? Yep, still yeah. to this day. Yeah, she's yeah. anti-Diane to Paul. Wow. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yes. Wow. That's, I mean, it's kind of hard. It's, it's wonderful and, 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 and hard to kind of wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. Well, we she, did, she's the maternal, she's the mother. She's, so we did gestational surrogacy, which yeah. means we had an egg donor um, who we didn't know before okay. the process, but okay. we did meet her at the day of the transfer. And then um, the embryo was fertilized and then transferred into Diane. Okay. So wow. she was the carrier, but it wasn't her. There's a lot of people involved with yeah. the gestation yeah. of this right. child. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very wow. clinical. Wow. And your baby, Paul, was born premature. Eight yes. weeks. Yep. That yeah. must have been emotionally difficult. That was terrifying. I think that's an understatement to say yeah. that. Yeah. 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 We were actually getting ready to fly to Germany uh, for like kind of like I was presenting at a conference and then it was going to be a last little mm-hmm. uh, getaway. And so then that the night bef- like before we were getting ready to go, we get this phone call. Well, we were we had our baby shower on a Saturday, and the last guest left, and I said to Danny, "Why don't we have a glass of wine, we're sit around the fire pit, and then we can clean up." Did you have any hint? Because you know neither of you were carrying the baby, so it's I mean the the the, we, the woman would be like, uh, "This is going on, and this is going on," but you might not have any. Cl- and the woman was in Hawaii. Yes. Yep. Lived in, lives in Honolulu. Still um, lives there, and she's a music education teacher, so she teaches elementary mm-hmm. children, oh, nice. and have yeah. just wrapped on the show that they did. Yeah, and so we we got a call, and she was at the hospital. She hadn't been feeling well, and uh. so um, they were at the rap party for a, a musical that she actually had produced. And it was the doctor saying, we're inducing labor, and we're both stunned, and we said, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. (laughs) And she was diagnosed with uh, preeclampsia. Preeclampsia. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. That's not not good. It's serious for the mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we said, well, what what are you doing? And he says, delivering the baby, so I would recommend you get here. And I said, we're in New Jersey. And he said, well... Make there are planes. Yeah, like the baby doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. you're in We're Jersey. still delivering this baby if you're here or not. Wow. So I looked to Danny and I said, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Cleaned the house. No, and Within 30 minutes, had no idea anybody was there for the party. We got plane tickets. We were on a flight 6 a.m. the next day um, from New Jersey. Had a layover in San Francisco. Landed in Honolulu. Had another See, friend pick us up. I love how they nested though before they went. Yeah. <laughs> they made sure the house was baby ready. Right. Yeah, exactly. David, definitely. <laughs> we have to make sure it's clean. We can't come home to exactly. a dirty house. <laughs> so was there a baby room at all? Or was it all that? Well, we hadn't gotten to that stage yet because we still it thought we so had early. eight weeks. How early? Eight well, weeks. Eight, eight, eight weeks. weeks. Oh yeah. Wow. So, but we did land and, and get to the birth, and we were actually there for the birth. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. That was fast. Yeah. So, um, we were there for the birth, and he was 18 inches long and just barely three pounds. But 18 inches is long. Very yeah. long. He's, wow. He's also... He's going to be very tall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. But three pounds. Three pounds. So, how, how much did he weigh before you could bring him home? Was it like five pounds or something? He was about days? five. Yeah, he, around that. So, how long was that? Uh, two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. So you were in Hawaii for two and a half weeks? A little over 
about three, three by the time we got him out of the hospital we yeah. wanted to wait a few days before we got onto a plane yeah. and he was okay everything mm -hmm. yeah that's great well, yeah well, yeah he met all the a markers a nurse so. this is a very yeah. special story i mean just this yeah. story about paul mm -hmm. and his birth and all the people that were involved in that yeah who was helping you through all this uh, <laughs> each other each other yeah we were staying at diane's apartment um yeah. so and she has uh, a son that she shares custody uh so he's there half the time and um so we were actually it, it was nice because diane was also recovering from the birth so because we were there we were able to help out a little bit and then she was going and spending some time kind of bonding as well because i think i think that process allowed her to transition more easily because mm -hmm. um you know i think she was she didn't want us to like sort of show up take the baby leave mm -hmm. um, yes and, and then she came to visit a few times, so uh, Paul has met her several times. He was actually the ring bearer in her wedding uh, in 2019. 19, nice. October. And I performed the ceremony, and David My did God. everything else. <laughs> what a great story. It's like, a, you make a movie out of this, <laughs> and I'd be crying like five minutes in. <laughs> you know? Um, and one thing I thought was very interesting, a lot of people kept saying to Diane when she was carrying Paul, How, I can't... I can't imagine giving away your child. And she said, well, first of all, it's not my child and I'm giving it back. I'm not giving it away. Oh my gosh, that because just gave me the shivers. they entrusted me with the embryo to bring it to life and now I'm giving it back to them. My part is done, which is a big part. It's why we're parents and why we're all a, a collective family. But she said, I'm giving it back. I'm not giving it away. This kind of goes along with what uh, I wanted to talk about later, and I don't think we need to get to it now, but this idea of inclusive parenting, mm -hmm. that parenting is not just a, two people doing it or one person doing it. It's a village that does it. It truly is. Yeah, you know, and this, this story is about a village that created this child and raising the child. Mm -hmm. Paul, Does Paul know this story? Yeah, he's he, he does. It, I guess at each you know age, I think mm -hmm. there's a question that comes up, so we answer it you know, to the best and of our ability. And you're going to be as honest as... Yeah, 100%. He's also eight, so there's only so much that he cares yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. But eventually he, he will. Cares about he will care Fortnite about. and yeah. Uh, yeah. So and then some of his friends uh, were asking, like, how do you not have a mom? Because you know we're very clear he has Auntie Diane. So so then we had to explain. You know, we have a, a good book that actually talks about like you know some people have semen and some people have eggs and you know this is how babies can be made. Yeah. So yeah. a little bit more of a uh, an educational answer for them than mm -hmm. they might have expected, but. But they are clear that Paul has Auntie Diane because she wasn't actually his, his birth mom because right, she wasn't right, the right. egg donor. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. Wow, wow. Huh, huh, a lot to rub. But let's let's get to what, why we're here, which is sure, about sure. Keikoa food. <laughs> right, the baby food. So, so let, me, let, <laughs> let, let, me, let me kind of delve into that. David, when did you decide that you would make your baby's food, you'd make Paul's food? What was the problem with the commercial baby food that that he was getting or you were, you were using? So... When we got home with him, you know, obviously he was eight weeks early, so there was a lot of concern. We wanted to make sure that he had great health, um, good vitamins, nutrition. And when he was starting solids, I went to the grocery store and, and you know, you had your usual baby food companies that have been around for years and years and years and years and years. And then you had some of the newer companies that are had um, organic foods. And so bought some and tasted them myself. and. They were all very sweet and sugary tasting. I love that you tasted them yourself. Yeah, <laughs> because if I'm going to give it to him, I want to make sure that it tastes fine to me because why would I want him to have something that I think is not 
appropriate. But but because because I would or suggest that some of them are gross. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. But your palate is more mature. So mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the argument I think people make is for these plain baby food is that that that's comfortable. I don't know. It's, I disagree with that a hundred percent. It doesn't need okay. to be plain because think about what people have fed their children around the world. They have not fed their children just plain gross tasteless food if you look at different cultures around the world it is very filled with lots of flavors and spices and herbs and nothing is bland and it wasn't until you know the the beginning of baby food manufacturing way back in the 20s and the 30s that it kind of became that and so it became a norm and then you know it's what people have expected but it shouldn't be because when we think about food, we all, people love food, people love to eat, people love the flavor. Why should we wait until they're three, four, five years old? Because at that point, it's very late. We should be introducing these foods as early as possible, appropriately so. Um, you know, age uh, six months is when we started feeding Paul solid foods. And we wanted to make sure that he had. Uh, a chance to develop his palate. All right, but you didn't know all this when you started this. No, right? I did a lot. You of... just had this feeling like this food is not really good enough. It's too sweet. Correct. I also did a lot of research on making sure, like, what could I feed him? Because if I'm going to feed him something, I don't want to feed him something that's going to be terrible for uh, a six-month-old body. That did you talk just... to a nutritionist or? We talked to our pediatrician. Okay. Um, and they gave us a lot of good ideas of what foods we should start with. I did a lot of research on different herbs and spices and what we could incorporate. And when he was about eight months old, he was eating curry. Yeah. And so I was making him chicken curry with potatoes and carrots and celery and garlic and onions. And I was mixing it all together and putting it in the blender and giving it to him as a, as a puree. Yeah. And our group uh, pediatrician practice is a few different doctors that we would see time to time. And um, most of them were um, international. So you know, we would ask them like, what should we do? And, you know, of course we're new parents so we were so scared and I think they're used to seeing that in new parents. And they were like, well, follow his cues. Like if he's curious and wants mm-hmm. to try what you have, like go ahead and let him try it. Like it's not gonna hurt him. Like you're um, not gonna put cayenne pepper in, in their food. No, no, right. you, you also wanna make sure that you, it's gonna, that they're gonna enjoy the flavor or be surprised by it and want more of it, not to overwhelm them with it. So, you know, a lot of the spice that is on the uh, hot side, so something like a pepper, you know, we let's let's wait until that they they they're a little bit older. But something like you know the curry that we used, it was uh, a Madras curry, so that the blend was um, flavorful. There was no heat to it. What are some of your favorite foods, Paul Kekoa? Lasagna, salad. Sides. Okay. Dressing on it too. What is something that you like to put on your food? Hot sauce. With okay. my chicken and my salad. What's your favorite dessert? Chocolate. It is? Yeah. Oh, okay. So do you think you developed an adventurous eater? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because um, many, many, many babies are not adventurous. At least when they get older, it's like, we, our grandson, it's like... Yeah, he's... To get him to eat stuff that, that is interesting, he won't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and it's that six months to two years of age that you really want to try to expand 
a lot of taste and, and really expand their palate so that they have the ability. And even if, you know, they go into their twos and threes and there's a lot of independence that they want to um, have with their food or what they want or they don't want. But if you have that six month to two year mark of introducing a lot of different flavors, that allows them to actually have that palate expansion and it's there with him. And then they have that uh, ability when they get older to try to be adventurous or try different things that where they would not have had they not done that at that age. And do you think it fosters a child who chooses healthy foods? I would, well, yes. And I think our son's a good example of that. Does it work for every child? You know, who knows, you know, but for at least for our child, it does. Right. You know, he um, definitely um, seeks out a lot of greens, um, a lot of salads, a lot of vegetables. Vegetables. Um, <laughs> his One of his favorite things actually is to put uh, sriracha on salads. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. He would get well, that, along with Kren. That is adventurous. Our son-in-law. Our, our, <laughs> yeah, our, yeah. Yeah, Domin- Dominican son-in-law. Can um, you, think a, you think a child's food preferences can be improved? Well, th- th- as David was saying, between six months and two years, it's a really uh, wonderful period it's because an they're very open. Um, once they hit two, right, they start to assert more independence, and you know, no becomes a very popular word because uh-huh. it gives them power. Uh-huh. So um, I also think that it's a time when when children can eat whole foods, can eat, you know, can chew and everything. That parents just start. It's kind of you're not necessarily focused on you know addressing their palate and more just we got to get dinner into this mm-hmm. kid and you know mm-hmm. yeah that's the you know thing that's i just got home really from work i'm really tired throw the you know let's get yeah. a pizza mm-hmm. but the the more you establish habits right so if they know that there's vegetables at every meal there's going to be something green yeah. or yeah. you know i'm going to try broccoli i don't like it today i don't want to eat it but try it with you know a little different flavor next time maybe more lemon juice or you know introduce it with a few other vegetables so this is off script but do you sit down and dine do you have dinner as a family? Mm-hmm. It was very challenging um, before uh, the pandemic. Actually, some of the you know the silver linings is that we've started to make time to do that. Yeah, and uh, we realized that you know when we're sitting there, we're actually talking about the food because then he'll ask questions about it and wants to know like you know what is this and what did you put in it. This and he knows time, you're right? doing this Keikoa thing. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. he's very excited, and yeah. his friends are like, "Oh, you have, we saw your food." <laughs> yeah, we would make we would make one dinner. Yeah, we were not short order cooked. We'd make one dinner. If you didn't like it, you might be hungry. That's how we are, too. Like we, we didn't want to make four meals. Do, do you ever ask Paul, you say, all right, come up with a, a, a new cocoa product. Does he ever kind of put combinations together for you? We you make know, him cook with us. Yeah, he cooks with us. We make haven't gotten him. to that stage yet, um, but he has been our um, resident expert taster. Ah. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, what about a baby? How do you know what they, how do you know if they like it? I mean. Yeah. Well, it's, it's obviously facial cues if they like it or dislike it but um, one thing that's been interesting especially getting the products because all the products that we offer with Kikoa Foods are products or the um, purees that I actually made Paul um, and so you know, obviously we had to adjust it slightly for consumer um, facing products but every time I would have to work with the recipe to make sure that it was good I would first person that tasted it was Paul and every single time if he was like mm, nope yeah. No, no, yeah. this is not good. I was like, yeah, well, I think you may be right. So I would go back and kind of tweak a little bit more and a little bit more. And then finally after he was like, yeah, this is pretty good. Then I would open it up and let other people taste it. And usually at that point, they were like, wow, this is really good. So did you have baby tasters as part of your, um, mm-hmm. did you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. I'm asking a lot of neighbors to help out with that okay. as well. <laughs> right. Cool. And it wasn't just food that was sugary, sweet that he went for. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you talk about uh, on your website, 
or maybe because you wrote to me, Dan, about this, about nutrient-dense food as opposed to energy-dense food, those mm -hmm. foods that have a lot of sugar in them. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so he wasn't necessarily attracted to the sugary foods. I mean, he liked it. So, uh, like, I think the first we we kept it limited when he mm -hmm. was very young, and then as we would go to parties, right, he'd get like a gift bag with different things in sure. it. So he's always excited by it. To be real. It. Um, but I mean, I think he's, he the things he finds you know, most exciting in like sweets would be like uh, sour stuff. Uh -huh. So wow. he does like things that are. Uh, that's kind of sophisticated. He's, he's also a kid. Well, so kids like, love sour patch kids and all. Oh, that that's, true, that's so, true. That's true. You know, bring out chocolate. He's going to be like, he's yes, normal. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. at the same time, he you know at dinner time he's like, yeah, I'll, I would love some broccoli. Right. Yeah. Right. Now you started that's this great. as a business, as not as a business, as just to kind of like get good food into this baby that didn't start off well and you wanted to get him get mm -hmm. him healthy. When did you decide to turn this into a business? <laughs> so that was you. <laughs> so I kept posting, I would make all of his food Sunday during the day. So it was ready to go all week long so we wouldn't have to worry about it as we're going in and out of the city with, with work. And I would post it onto social media. And so a lot of friends and family kept looking at this and making comments like, oh my God, this looks delicious. I can't believe Paul's eating this. He's eating better than I am. <laughs> and you know, a couple of times people have said, you know, if I could just go to the store and buy what you were making, I would buy it. I would go there and buy it in a second. Bing! Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, Danny, I think we may have a business here. <laughs> Danny's like, you go for it because I'm, that sounds crazy. Yeah. And then after a couple of years of just kind of noodling with it, um, then he finally was convinced. He's like, I think I need to, to jump on board. Let's do this. Well, we had the idea of doing a Kickstarter. So um, from some consultants that we were working with to develop the website and, and kind of get the business plan sort of off the ground. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said, why don't you do a proof of concept? Do a Kickstarter. See if people you know, would be willing to purchase this without the product so that it can get you to and your how production. how does that work? Uh, with Kickstarter, you know, you set your goal, you tell everybody what the plan is. So we're launching a baby food company. We're going to have these products to start. If you pre-order and pay now, then that'll get us kind of, it'll kickstart us into, okay. sure. you know, launching our business and that money will go to production and then we'll fulfill the orders once it's done. Yeah. And it's an all or nothing thing. So you set your campaign goal and everybody that contributes, you know, they're all in and unless you don't hit the goal, then they get all their money back and then it doesn't happen. So but you reached the goal. Yeah, we you did. Uh, $25,000. Did, um, did it happen quickly or was it? It, it was didn't feel 40, quick. <laughs> 45 days, yeah. roughly. That seems, oh, yeah. Wow, 25,000. Yeah. And let me tell you, it felt like three years. I would, yeah. I would imagine. It yeah. Was yeah. Because if this didn't happen, you right. didn't reach that limit. We, we don't done. get anything. There's no cake hole. Correct. Yeah. And, and you are in an industry, uh, a very large baby food industry, where there's a lot of competition. And I would imagine a lot of companies like yours, mm -hmm. you know, trying to address this nutritional, you know, tasty baby food. Um, how do you get your voice heard? Um, I think it's, you know, when you're passionate about what you're doing and you have a good product and, um, you know, you can uh, easily explain to people why this is a good product, why it's healthy, right? So the palate expanding ingredients uh, are something that I think really excite a lot of parents because they don't want to have a child that, you know, doesn't want to eat vegetables, Picky. doesn't want to eat yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. hear about baby food with kale or with, um, with herbs, mm -hmm. you know? With yeah, and it was very important to us to not add salt and to not have sweeteners in it. We really wanted to 
have him appreciate you know veggie forward foods and mm -hmm. like the vegetables for their own sake mm -hmm. um, and it's really resonating with a lot of other parents um, and caregivers I want to just back up a little bit because I think we skipped something here, and that is Keikoa. <laughs> what is that word, Keikoa? Oh, right. And by the way, yes. the design yes, right. has this Hawaiian feel to mm -hmm. it. And David, I understand you did the design? Well, I um, worked with uh, some friends and graphic designers, but had the vision of what it, I wanted it to look like between the, the logo itself and just the sensibility and the, the you know feel of the company from a graphic standpoint. Um, but yeah, so Keikoa is Paul's middle name, and um, since he was born in Hawaii, Hawaii. Sure. Um, and just before he was, he was born, um, some of Diane's friends, who are native Hawaiian, came and visited, and actually we talked with them, and they consulted uh, with some people and actually um, gave him the name Keikoa um, as part of being born in Hawaii. So. Which means? Brave warrior. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah so good. given how strong he was and how hard he was fighting to, to get out of the NICU, and he, um, you know, he had to have the lights because his Billy Rubin levels were low, so he met that milestone right away. He had to gain weight. He had to be able to maintain his own temperature. Okay. He was really hitting all those very quickly, so, um, you know, that was part of the reason for the name as, as well, was that he was a fighter and he was going to have a very strong Hawaiian spirit. Okay, Keikoa, Paul. Mm -hmm. Tell us one thing about Paul that makes him a brave warrior. I want something specific. He's steadfast <laughs> when he makes up his mind. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he is a true fighter in every sense of it. Um, I, go, I keep going back to when he was in the NICU. Um, they told us he would be in there for six to eight weeks. And two and a half weeks later, he was discharged. Wow. So... I th and then right there, I was like, well, clearly he's going to be a, a fighter. And he's proven that his entire life. If he truly wants something, he will not stop until he gets it. Until the my, my sister actually said at one point, he has to grow up to be a lawyer. Because he's like, well, what about this? What about this? Have you thought about this? And she's like, who? who what other five-year-old just constantly is at you until he gets what he wants? So um, we just were curious about how you decided on the price point. I mean, is there a... Like experts that advise you, or yeah. is, is yeah. it affordable to people who don't have a lot of money? Right. Yeah. So um, we use all organic ingredients, um, so that sort of raises the price point a bit. Mm -hmm. um, we are selling um, all directly through Amazon at the moment, so it's delivered right to. And you have your own stores. Amazon page. Yes, mm -hmm. very attractive. Yeah, and then so um, you know we did look at the competition that was selling other organic products, so we are very well in line with what they're doing. Um, one of the things that's important to us, though, is that, <clears throat> you know, we're, we've created this product, we're proud of it, and people who have the money can afford it, right? Like if you're buying organic products, you're, mm -hmm. you're able to do it. Um, if you are on a tight budget where, you know, every cent counts, unfortunately, you're probably having to make those kinds of sacrifices yeah. um, at the store where you have to, you know, spread the dollar and, and mm -hmm. purchase more mm -hmm. energy dense, right? Like more Which um, are not cost of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's something that's uh, passionate to us, so we really want to work as a company to um, help fight insecure food insecurity and to help raise awareness around the importance of nutrition so that families can um, have access to that. Um, one of the things that we did with the Kickstarter was, you know, we told friends, uh, most who had children that are like six years and older, we're going to be doing this, you know, Kickstarter campaign, and they're like, that sounds amazing. Too bad I can't support it. And we're like, well, why can't you support us if you like what we're doing with the company? And they're like, what are we going to do with baby food? I have a six-year-old. I have a 12-year-old. So we were like, we need to you know, really think about like what can we do here. 
So I reached out to uh, Dr. Janice Johnson-Dias from uh, John Jay, and she um, does a lot of work in our community in West Orange and surrounding areas, and she connected us with the YMCA of Newark. So they have a residence hall where families are going, um, some, you know, they, they, there's over 200 at any given time that are living there with about 80 infants at a time. So what we set up was that if people wanted to support the company but didn't want the food, they could have it sent directly to the Y. Oh, wow. So now that we did our production in December, we uh, scheduled March 26. We're going to be bringing the food. It's about $10,000 worth of product, so like a full pallet, uh, four foot by four foot by four foot. That must feel wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to deliver on that because uh, yeah. that was something that was kind of um, stressful when we kept getting delays with the pandemic that we had promised this to the Y and then we weren't able to bring it there. So we're going to have the food delivered and then we're doing a panel on nutrition. Right. Um, so uh, mm -hmm. Janice will be joining us representing the Grassroots Community Foundation. Uh, we have a nutritionist who's joining us. Um, and so any questions that the, you know, the residents uh, want to ask about, you know, our products or food, but also like, you know, how do I, you know, find healthier options when I'm on a very limited budget? So we'll be talking about some of those aspects. As you well. know, one thing we haven't talked about is the difficulty of starting a business during a pandemic. Yeah. And it maybe um, it couldn't have been easy. I know it took longer than you expected to, mm -hmm. um, but you're, you feel good about it now. Yeah, so feel great about it now. Yeah. yeah, the Kickstarter was, I think, what I needed to be motivated to mm -hmm. that. This is we were on to something. People are excited. So we spent 2019 kind of figuring out a plan. Like we, we one of us has to go all in on this because it's not going to happen. And that was you, Dan. Yeah, we we, we had discussed <laughs> yeah. it and tried to figure it out. And uh, you're still at Viacom. I am. I am. Yeah. 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 It pays a little more than public <laughs> education. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so we, we planned and we tested and then we're like, okay, 2020 is going to be our year. So I resigned from 20 years in higher education. Ouch. Uh, this, the pandemic had already started. No, this. No, I mean, 2019. It was, it was March just, of 2019. When I well, I resigned in December. Um, okay. So I don't think I had heard of any cases yet. And then like over the holidays, oh, okay. that's when I was starting to hear about cases right. in and Asia. It was in March. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so then you were already in. By the time mm -hmm. that I resigned, I was like, oh, there's something happening, but you know, it's You're all in. not affecting here. Yeah. So then all of a sudden, it's like you know, Italy shuts down, and I'm like, mm -hmm. what does that mean that a country just completely shut down? <laughs> and I don't and have then, a job. And then yes. New York City <laughs> shuts down. Yeah. Yes. And then the co-packer that we had worked with, uh, that we had everything set up to get going, they weren't returning phone calls. And then the uh, pouch manufacturer, you know, they weren't able to get the material. How did you survive? What did you do? It was a very long <laughs> 20 Well, months. you know, there's, uh, with the pandemic, there's been obviously a lot of heartache, but there's also been a lot of silver linings and wonderful things that have come out of it. And, and just personally with our family, you know, Danny, was not able to focus on the business because everyone that we were talking with, the vendors and everyone, to his point, weren't returning phone calls. And they weren't, they were focusing on the larger companies that would help them keep afloat, not the, a new startup. And so he, sure. Danny became a, a first grade teacher for our son at the dining room table, which you know is a huge blessing because he was able to actually focus and put that time and attention to our son so that he didn't fall behind while I was frantically trying to figure out how to do what I needed to do at work. And then once we realized that everything that we had set was pretty much dissolved at that point, mm. we thought, why don't we, why don't we regain, um, start over and find a whole new co-packer, all new vendors. And I said, you know, there was a company out in California that I was researching before we had found um, the previous co-packer. Let's reach out to them, see what's going on. 
So we did. They have become a great partner. They're the ones that um, actually make and pa um, package our food. Um, and then that's happy to you know, share industry information with us, like in terms of, you know, this is what you can do in terms of uh, testing. And then this is the process that we're going to. So follow. in a way, it kind of turned out better than what you had. Yeah, oh, I completely with. agree. You know, I think like with anybody else, you have these moments of like, oh, my gosh, why am I doing this? But we just kept going back to like, well, you know, we have a promise. We we had our Kickstarter. We have people at the Y that are depending on us. And we have bigger ideas that we want to do with a company to help, you know, feed and, and palate expand and, and help um, families that need the, the help with, with food later on. And so we were like, let's, let's just keep at it. We need to keep yeah. going and persevere and, and find people and partners and vendors that will actually work with us and not against us and it's about mindset right so you could say you failed because you ran into this wall but or you could say how do i get over the wall and yeah. how do i figure and out you this did. next thing yes yeah and it's been rolling yeah and and, and, yeah. Be a, and then we find another wall <laughs> and figure yeah. out how to get around that one and be a brave warrior and be yes. a brave warrior thank you david fulner and dan ald co-owners of kikoa foods producing natural great tasting baby foods Good luck as you move forward with your new business. Thank you both Thank so you. much for having Good us. Good luck, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch and see how you're doing. And the best part about the food is that it's just food, so you guys yeah. could taste it too. I know, oh, I want to. Will. Are you kidding? I think, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both. Yeah, Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. it. a lot of fun. This is Bar Crawl Radio, recording at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, across the street from the Mortuary and down the block from Riverside Park, which is starting to open up for spring daffodils, Ellen. Oh, boy. Oh, daisies, spring flowers, and we'll be right back. Today, we are talking about starting a business during a pandemic. Our next guest is a daring individual who started his business at the height of the COVID scare. Adam Simon is the brave bread baking owner of Sourdough Gambit. Yes, he does play chess, which delivers same-day baked bread. This week, um, Alan and I enjoyed some of the, the country loaf. The country loaf, yeah. Mm. I, I, I was going to tell Adam mm. that I had this experience this morning, an emotional experience with the country loaf. I was having my coffee in my reading chair, and I had some strawberry rhubarb on a lightly toasted piece of this I of had the country same loaf. thing, huh? It was like I, I slathered with a bit of butter, and it melted into all the kind of crevices and all. And then I, I had my, my espresso coffee, and I was sitting there, and it's like I had a little coffee, and then I, I bit into the country loaf with the strawberry rhubarb and it's like I had this experience one side of my mouth was a little bit of the crust the middle was the kind of this soft beautifully tasting sourdough bread with a with the butter and I just stopped it was delicious I'm, I'm so happy I'm flattered it was that delicious. you love it delicious well you know we knew we were going to interview of course interview you of course and so we wanted to get your bread and we were and you know there's that trepidation like what if we don't like it what if it's like, <laughs> and she doesn't like sourdough I don't so sourdough in San Francisco exactly it's very sour at least historically I don't think it's like that all over but so I grew up in California and that's okay. where I was introduced to it yeah 
and I don't like sour bread. Uh, sourdough is just a leavening agent. You can manipulate it to be a little more mild or a little more tangy. I personally lean towards just that right amount of tang. You know you're eating sourdough, but it's not sour. It's not if, if you, you know what I mean. Hitting you yeah, over yeah, the yeah. palate, right? Exactly, right. exactly. Right. So that, that's the voice of Adam Simon. He was born and raised in North Belmore, Long Island, studied economics at Cornell, consulted at Goldman Sachs and a couple of hedge funds, has been married for over a decade and a half, has two daughters, and they all live on 110th Street and Broadway. And in the 2020 summer of our COVID summer of discontent, Adam's family decided to make bread for the neighborhood. What, what was that family conversation like? We're going to make bread for the neighborhood. Yeah, my daughters were going stir crazy. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I are like, we have to figure out a way to keep them busy. How old are they? They are 14 and 11. Oh, oh you wow. got to keep them busy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, we had one daughter, not two. And they are into baking and cooking themselves. So we're like, okay, let's start a bakery. Uh, they did the sweets, uh, cookies, cupcakes, lemon bars, and I baked the sourdough bread. Uh, now, when you say you started the bakery, was it something that you sold to the neighborhood? Yeah, initially we were giving it away, and then people kept on asking for it. And right. we're like, okay, well, let's actually sell some, um, and we'll take some of the, uh, the revenue and make a donation uh, to a local charity. It was a great experience. The girls had fun. I had fun. And most importantly, I realized I was onto something here. So the girls had to go back to school in the fall. I kept on baking, and the neighborhood kept on wanting more bread. And you're baking in your kitchen. So yes, in my kitchen, I have a home oven. It's a nice oven. It's a Viking oven. Um, I could bake three or four loaves at a time. On a busy day, that would be 20 loaves of bread, and I would wake up at 5 in the morning, get the oven warmed up, and go through five rounds of bakes. Um, and then go deliver it to the people that order. Right. And you enjoyed this? I loved it. I loved it. More than working in finance. <laughs> I loved finance. Um, uh, it was a great experience. Um, it's, it was my first passion working. I'm glad I could find that. Uh, the work-life balance got a little out of whack, and I took a step back to spend time with my family. Luckily, I did well enough that uh, I could take a year or two and just chill and relax and not worry financially, which is a blessing. Uh, and then, you know, sourdough hit. Uh, I think I baked my first loaf of bread in 2019, then my second, and then my third. And I was hooked. And I get obsessed with things when I get into them. I went down the rabbit hole and kept going. And the more I learned, the more I read, the more I baked, uh, the more passionate I became. So yeah. two, two decades of finance and bread making becomes a passion for you. How did you learn your craft? I read a lot of books. I, I baked my first loaf of bread. I tasted it. I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. How can we improve on this? And it's just kind of an update. You go from one loaf to the next loaf to the next loaf. Uh, watched videos. I did everything I could to learn as much about sourdough baking in particular, but baking more broadly, bread baking more broadly. And like I said, I, I could become obsessed with something. I think I, I think I own 50 or 60 sourdough baking books at home. I've, this is just who you are. This is who I am. Yeah. And we can get back into the chess thing. That's who I was. You know, I became obsessed with chess when I was a kid. But then I had the opportunity to actually work, or to be specific, volunteer at two bakeries in New York City. Um, a friend of a friend hooked me up with a bakery in Brooklyn, Runner and Stone. Awesome 
awesome uh, f- uh, baked products, awesome bread, awesome sweets, and met the owner, and he's like, sure, come on in. And I learned a ton there. It was kind of a, yeah, a, a win-win for them. They get free labor, I get to learn what I'm doing, right? So I thought it was a fair trade. Then I also uh, brought a loaf of bread to the owner of Silvermoon Bakery. Her name's Judith. You guys know Silvermoon. It's been sure. around. It's an institution sure. a couple of blocks away from where I live. Brought a loaf to her. She kind of ignored me. Brought another loaf to her. She ignored me some more. I ran into her at Zabar's like a, three weeks later. And I'm like, oh, hi. And she's, I think I just broke her down. She's like, okay, come on in. Well, you know, come in on Friday at four in the morning. So I came in and there were some bakers there that... Uh, were super nice, hardworking, and they took me under their wings and they taught me how they bake their bread. Now, my bread's a little different with, than what they're doing. They're not focused on sourdough. They do some sourdough, but that was an amazing experience. And, you know, I got to the point where I, I thought I was getting pretty good at what I was doing that I said, okay, I'm confident enough. Fast forward to end of 2021, I sit down with my wife. I'm like, I'm going to go for this. And she's like, go for it, Adam. You love it. I That's see great. it. Um, she actually helps me in the bakery. In its current form, Sourdough Gambit officially launched a month ago, five weeks ago. I've, we've had four or five weeks of bakes. So why the name, Sourdough Gambit? Yes, because you love... <laughs> because I love chess. Yes. Um, why the name? What's a gambit? What is a gambit so in chess? A, a gambit um, in chess, or more broadly, is when you take a, a little risk, you make a sacrifice for future gain. Yeah. So in, in chess... You are giving up a pawn, typically, at the beginning of the game. You're giving up material, which typically is not what you would normally do, in order to gain a long-term advantage. For me, this is my real-life gambit. I gave up. I'm working away, walked away from finance. I doubt I'll make as much money (laughs) in this business, but it's something I love to do. Uh, I'm passionate about, and, and I'm happy. So I'm going for it. Have you seen the profit? Is there? A, is it in the profit? I mean, is it? I, yes. Um, actually, uh, I was expecting to take a couple of months to at least break even, and the, f- the past couple of weeks, actually each week, uh, I've been increasing production. We've been sold out, and actually turning a small profit al- already, which uh, was a pleasant surprise to me uh, and my wife. Yeah. How, how many loaves a week do you do you make and sell? Uh, sure. Uh, last week we uh, sold, a, uh, baked a hundred loaves of bread, and then um, also baked a hundred uh, maple cardamom knots, which is a sweet treat. Oh, and that nice. Oh, and, and you and you brought over some a new product which you're investigating, which is kind of a, a rice brownie, a chocolate malted rye cookie. So it's part cookie, part brownie, part malted milkshake. And um, it is delicious. Listen to me, listeners. <laughs> this is amazing. I'm trying to bake interesting, unique products that are elevate familiar flavors. Uh, my Moroccan loaf. I was just telling Alina. Um, Alina is our producer okay. of already, who actually helped this part of the portion of the program to happen. Yes. So thank you, Alina. Thank you. An olive bread. People are used to olive bread, right? My wife and I brainstormed up this idea of like let's add preserved lemons and zatar which is a middle eastern herb blend and elevate a standard olive loaf and call it a moroccan loaf we have to get that and i I think we're stuck at them you know (laughs) we we worked on various iterations of how much olive how much lemon 
And you know, that, that's a lot of work to, to do, but I finally got to the point where, probably several months ago, uh, where we're like, wow, we are comfortable with this loaf where it is. We introduced it last week. It sold out in like a day and a half on the website. So we're, we have it on the, on the menu again this week. We have to time this right, too. Well, <laughs> yeah. We have to know, when do you, what, what day of the week do you, sure. does it go up? So it's, it's a little variable uh, at this point. Um, but going forward, um, I'm planning to bake on Fridays. So uh, I bake on Fridays. The menu will go up the week prior, actually the Saturday right after I bake. Mm-hmm. So the menu goes up, Saturday. gets updated Saturday. Uh, I give people three or four days to order. And then the menu uh, will actually get cut off uh, on Wednesday. Okay. Because I actually need three days to prepare mm-hmm. for the bake, where I start the process on Wednesday night. I'll mix the dough um, and shape the dough on Thursday. And then it sits overnight in the refrigerator to develop, to ferment and develop even more flavor. And then on Friday, I'll bake it and then deliver. I am uh, baking in a commercial bakery in Long Island City. It's called the um, Entrepreneur Space. It's actually a food incubator. I'm like a kid in the candy store. That's what um, it sounds like. It sounds like you've got all the toys there. It's a former bakery, actually, so they have all the proper equipment that I need to bake. In my home oven, I could bake four loaves. In their oven, I could bake 50 loaves at a time. They have all the mixing equipment. They have the sheeting equipment. Big. Huge mixer. Baking 50 loaves at one time is, you know, more efficient than baking four loaves at a time, especially when I'm able to sell all of that bread. All right, all right. The following questions uh, are really coming from my bread-making sister, who's okay. passionate about making bread. You sound like this, this is a passion thing. She makes challah and all the bread. She mm-hmm. does the sourdough thing. And we asked her, like, what we should ask you oh, okay. uh, as, as, as a resident our, expert. Our, our resident expert, um, yeah. What is a sourdough starter, and why did you name yours beast (laughs) okay a sourdough starter um, is a leavening agent to make the bread rise uh, similar to the powdered yeast packs you might find in the supermarket Mm -hmm. however it's got a a ton of benefits uh, that go above and beyond commercial yeast and I actually use commercial yeast in some of my sweet products so I don't want to diss commercial yeast but their sourdough it develops this. It's, it develops this flavor profile that you just can't match with commercial yeast. To answer your question, though, specifically, sourdough. When you think of a sourdough starter, think of a piece of dough with wild yeast and bacteria growing in it. It's something that you have to take care of, like your former guest, like a baby. I feed it twice a day, sometimes three times a day. You named it. And my wife actually named it Beast. And, and to, be, to be clear, the, the sourdough, she, it's, a, it's a she. Um, her, okay. her, her, ask you. Her, pronoun, her pronouns are <laughs> she and her. She's <laughs> okay, I just wanted to know. Okay, um, okay. And uh, yeah. She's a hungry girl. She's a hungry girl, exactly. <laughs> a hungry woman. And uh, she needs uh, some TLC. Uh, what food do you feed her? Uh, flour and water. Oh, okay. That's it. It's flour so and water. No, no fruit juice. No fruit juice. No fruit juice. Some people, when they get sourdough started, uh, will use a little pineapple juice or to get the culture growing. I, I didn't do that back in the day when I actually did mine, but there are different, some people have different ways to, to grow it. But once it's developed, it's like, I don't want to say clockwork, but she likes to be fed twice a day, 8 a.m., 8 p.m. So the, so the, the, um, the sourdough itself 
is a protozoan, right? It's a it's an ant. It's a little tiny. Yes. It's uh, not a bacteria. No, it, it is. Sourdough is a mix of wild yeast and lactic acid ba- uh, back. Uh, I, I'm gonna blank on the on the exact term, but uh, it's lactic acid bacteria. Okay. And they actually work together. The yeast and the bacteria f- are in a symbiotic relationship, where they work in this unison. To the yeast helps ri- uh, rise the bread, and the bacteria, as it eats the eats the flour, effectively, it is creating um, uh, acid that uh-huh. is that creates that sour that tang i think that's a good way to put it um again i mean the way i maintain beast (laughs) is um to keep it on the mild side where i don't want it to become overly sour Ah. you have to tame the beast (laughs) exactly you have to tame the beast so so let's let's i'm 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 gonna get a little emotional here because uh do you remember the moment when beast was created and how did you know you had something when she merged emerged (laughs) Wow. Um, my wife will laugh at this one. I am terrible with dates and history and remembering details. However, it was uh, 2019. I can't give you the exact date. But when you start feeding it, you want to try to develop a, a, a culture. You have to feed it and you get a little bubble or two and you, you're not so sure what's going on. So then you feed it some more flour and water. That's it. And then you wait another 12 hours and feed it a little more. And then you wake up the next morning and it's risen maybe doubled or in volume and it's bubbly and you're like woohoo it's it's it's, working. it's, it's a living thing yeah. and then it just perpetuates you have to yeah. take care of it and you perpetuate it wow. day in day out it's a labor of love and you know i love it does, does she perform better at certain times of year or in, in certain places <laughs> like this kitchen you're at now Long Island, does she work there better than in your kitchen? Uh, the most important thing is temperature control when you're doing a sourdough or any kind of yeast product. I don't know if you guys have baked it all, but if you are in a warm environment, the br- yeast loves warm, humid environments. It will grow very rapidly, very quickly. If it's cold, just like sometimes you or you guys or me, we're like we don't want to move, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't actually leaven the bread. So I'm always trying to maintain the right temperature for, for beast. It happens to be, in my apartment, low 70s, you know, maybe now 69, 70 degrees. Um, in the summer, I have to use colder water to keep that temperature down to try to maintain that 70, 72 degree range because that's what she likes the best. And again, I always defer to beast. So the beast lives with you. Oh yeah. At home. Okay. Well, well, she lives at she lives. I have a version of her at home, but she lives in the commercial kitchen okay. that I'm um, I'm baking in. And from here on in, sourdough gambit is going to use beast to create sourdough. That's correct. So, All right. <laughs> making bread in one sense is quite simple, right? Two ingredients: flour and water. What makes it so complicated? I, I guess I would go back to chess on this. I grew up playing chess. I love chess. It's kind of a simple game. You know, you, you have the rules of the game and you move the pieces. But once you get into it, you understand how complex and how beautiful of a game it is. I would even go so far as to say, uh, I don't know if you, either of you play chess, but it is a, it, it's a creative game where you watch, I'll, I'll, when I was a kid, I studied games. I'm like, oh my God, that is a beautiful move. That was a totally creative, un, like out of the clear blue move that won the game for some grandmaster. In sourdough, 
there are some similarities, right? Like you said, it's flour and water. I would add salt. I'd say three ingredients, flour, water, and salt, and that's it. No additives, no preservatives. Uh, maybe I'll be a little cliche here and say, when you go to a supermarket, you have to look at the ingredient labels on bread. You can't even read them. I mean, my eyes are not as good as they used to be. I can't even see all the ingredients on right. there. Yeah. Yeah. For my basic country loaf, you had flour, you had water, and you had salt, and that's it. So you have these three ingredients, but there are so many ways to manipulate the ingredients. And then when you layer on some of the ingredients that you want to add on top of it, whether it be for my Moroccan loaf or my sesame loaf. I don't know if you guys like sesame bread. I like sesame bread. I'm trying to elevate that. I do sesame seeds. I do Chinese roasted sesame paste, which is just awesome if you guys haven't had it. And then toasted sesame oil. In the bread, just a little bit. Again, I had to work on the proportions. I love bread. Right? I, I'm actually drooling as I as I say this. I I, I, Me I too. love food. What I is love that going to be on the menu? That's on the, on the menu. that's on the menu right now, now. Actually, yeah. Alan. Oh, okay. Quick, so let's get home. Okay. <laughs> we got a big order to put in. So another example of like, okay, here's sesame bread. Here's a familiar flavor for so many people in New York or around the world, but I'm adding a little extra je ne sais quoi where it, I think it's elevating the bread and it's creating this depth of flavor that, um, dare I say, goes above and beyond you know, your standard bread that you'd find in a supermarket for sure, but maybe even some bakeries in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. This, this part, this um, question comes again from Alan's sister. Okay. Okay. So she wanted to know if you follow strict baker's percentages. She says that that process, it bugs her. She feels that serious baker's sometimes are dogmatic Mm -hmm. um, in getting the process just right and she finds that her success is in letting it go a bit letting letting it happen in in the moment sure Um, I would kind of agree and disagree at the same time Baker's math especially when you're baking a hundred loaves at a time is super important and basically that uh, Baker's math simply put is like I'm using a hundred you know a hundred grams of flour I'm using 80 grams of water give or take and two grams of salt and those are you know and then i could scale that if i want to make two loaves i'll double that if i want to make 50 loaves i'll multiply that by 50. that's baker's math in a nutshell it's not it doesn't have to be some people overcomplicate it but that's baker's math that said on any given day say if it's a dry day guess what i feel the dough and this i love this aspect of it i feel the dough i'm like huh i put my 80 percent water in it's thirstier it's a dry day out. I'm going to add a little more water, or maybe a lot more water, maybe two, three, four percent. Other days, if it's really humid out, you know what? I'm going to actually hold back a little bit because the dough reacts differently depending on the conditions. This so, is a craft of what you're doing. This is, um, I'm getting shivers as you ask that question. It, each day is a little different. Um, so you have to adjust. So there is a math component to it, sure. uh, like you ask. But there's also a feel component where I'm feeling the dough with my hands. I'm like, it's not quite right. I have to make an adjustment on that day. And that adjustment might be different the following day. You know, what, what it occurs to me, it's like this is, this is simple and complex at the same time. You're into this thing. You're brand new at it as far as a business is concerned. I mean, years down the line, is your interest going to continue? Sure. Uh, great question. Um, so the way I think about that is I'm still a newbie, right? I, I baked with bakers that have been baking for 20, 30 years. What is exciting for me is in about three years, I've gotten to the point where I am um, that I'm baking, I think, really good bread. 
but I don't want to stand still. I want to continue to improve. In three years, I've come to this point. In another three years, I hope to be making even better bread and more interesting flavor combinations and profiles and stuff. So I'm looking forward to the next three years or five years or 10 years and seeing what I could learn. I've come a long way. I have plenty more to learn. Um, and I'm excited for that journey. What's, what's the, the physical experience like of, of making bread using natural processes, creating the starter, kneading, folding, shaping? Sure. Um, so I love, as I alluded to before, I love the, um, the, the textural, using my hands and getting, getting dirty, mixing dough. When I do that at home, five loaves, 10 loaves, that's fine. When I'm baking 50 loaves, that's when I come back to, there's a huge mixer, professional right. mixer at the, at the bakery uh, that I'm uh, baking at um, that, uh, that makes life, I mean, there's no way I could do that many loaves just by hand, if but you know you what I mean. But you still do things at home probably, right? Experimenting oh, yeah. and... I, <laughs> someone asked me the other day, what do you do on your days off? I'm like, I'm, I'm baking bread. So but you're driving your neighbors crazy with all the smells coming from your apartment. <laughs> in a good way. Um, in a good way, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So the other question we wanted to ask was, you know, when you want to learn more, who do you go to? Who's your, who is your guru that you go to? Ah, that's an interesting question. I have to say the people, the bakers on Instagram have been amazing. Okay. Um, these are well-known people where I just reach out and say, listen, I'm having troubles with my starter. It's getting a little too sour. Do you have some suggestions? And more often than not, these people are so generous with their time. And I want to you know, pay it forward. So when someone reaches out to me like, oh, my God, you're making beautiful bread, Adam. I'm like, thank you. I'm, I'm humbled. But I give them all the time that they want if they're just starting out, if they were maybe me three years ago. So like they're a very generous community. Uh, I've been... I've been so pleasantly surprised um, by the community, by some of these owners letting me volunteer at the bakery when, um, you know, it was, it was free labor for them, but it was still very generous of them to, to see my passion and to let me come into their bakery and help, uh, help them bake the bread that they sell to the local community day in, day out. We have been talking with Adam Simon, who started his bread baking business, Sourdough Gambit, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. It sounds like you're, you're doing okay despite the fact that we're, we're kind of coming out of this, this pandemic now. Um, yes, uh, the pandemic, you know, the pandemic was a great time for me. I think your uh, previous speakers said that there's silver lining in the pandemic. For me, it gave me time to do a couple of things. One, to learn a lot about baking and to prove to myself that this is what I really want to go for, and here I am going for it. That's wonderful. And, and you deliver only on the Upper West Side, is that right for right now? <laughs> Deliveries is tough right now, yes. Um, I rent a U-Haul and <laughs> bake the bread and then go deliver in my local neighborhood. So when we got our country loaf, you brought it to the apartment. Uh, I think I did, yeah. Yeah, because wow. you had a nice little note. Um, how can our listeners obtain your bread? For right now, those on the Upper West Side. Sure. Uh, go to sourdoughgambit.com, and uh, it's a pretty straightforward, simple website. I designed it myself. Oh, it's very easy. It's very um, easy. And you just uh, scroll down, and there's a section that says order bread. A couple of clicks, either Apple Pay or enter your credit card information, and uh, you're all set to go. And you might get to meet Adam Simon when he drops the bread <laughs> off 
<laughs> at your apartment. Maybe for a short, for short, short while more. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Right, right, right. Thank you very much. This has been. Uh, I've had a great time. Really you. appreciate you. Thank well, you. Sure. Thank you so much. And good luck as we move forward. Thank you. We are Bar Crawl Radio, having interesting conversations in a friendly bar with amazing people living their passion. Let us know what you think about our programming, and if you are doing anything amazing that you would like us to talk about, well, the first drink's on us. Contact Rebecca and Alan at barcrawlradio at gmail.com. And one more time, uh, thank you, Alina, for putting this uh, last part of the program together. And thank you, Wade Ripka, who gives us this wonderful music for Bar Crawl Radio. And thank, thanks to Gephardt. Yes. Oh, thank you, Matt. Thank you, and Matt. good luck very soon. Have a baby.